0: question I want to ask this morning about the kingdom of heaven and what's going on there is what is God doing on his throne? We talked two months ago about what it looks like and what everybody around him is doing, the angels and the saints, but what is God doing on the throne? Is he just sort of sitting there soaking up our worship like he's getting a suntan or something? You know, he's just waiting up there, I wish they'd sing me another song kind of a thing? Of course, the answer is no. He is literally on fire. He is made of fire, and that speaks of his purity and holiness, his light and truth, and his energy, his passion, what the Bible calls zeal. But he isn't selfish at all, so he isn't up there waiting for you to worship him or or wanting to soak it all up, like listen to these people tell me how great I am. That's not how God thinks at all. He's not Soaking it in uh, for for himself. God receives worship so that he can love us. Worship gives God strength. It actually enables him to do what he wants to do. It gives him legal permission. He's on his throne, but he is not sitting in it like it's a lazy boy. He's not reclining, doing nothing, taking a nap, just sort of sitting there watching us suffer down here on earth. And he isn't sitting there waiting to throw a lightning bolt at you. He is attentive and passionate and burning with holiness and truth and love and energy. You know, his, his throne has lightning coming from it. So it isn't a recliner. That isn't a chair you sit on in a relaxed way for a Sunday nap, you know. So what is he doing? What's he, what's he sitting there for? If that's if he if he isn't chilling, waiting to be worshipped, and just oh yeah, come on, bring it, bring it, yeah, uh-huh, tell me how great I am. If that's not what's happening, then what is he doing? What's he working on? What is he accomplishing? Well, there's this meme of Jesus in heaven as the carpenter who's up there building you a mansion so that you can retire in eternity on permanent vacation in some sort of a all-you-can-eat buffet resort spa. And that has got to go in the trash. Jesus is not building you a mansion. All right, that's been a very immature thought of the church is that Jesus is up there building houses for all of us so that we can retire with style uh, after we've successfully completed this life. The activity that's going on in heaven is much more serious than that. And it is not about me at all. It's all about Jesus. What's going on in heaven is not about you. It's about Jesus. And he's not up there hammering nails on your roof so that you can have a big 37-bedroom mansion. Uh, You know, there are old hymns about that, and it's amazing the ideas that we get, that we create out of our own imagination. So what actually is going on in the Spirit? What's going on in the kingdom of heaven right now? What is God's activity and direction? What's his goal and his object? God's overall big-picture goal is still from Adam and Eve until through the cross. And the resurrection is still today. His big picture goal is redemption, to save us, and to restore us to himself. The centerpiece of God's purpose and action and thinking is to bring heaven and earth together again like they were in the garden. God says over and over again in scripture that salvation was the plan from before the earth was created. God created Adam and Eve in perfect paradise on earth, and he walked with them every day, every morning and every evening, And his plans and his desire never changed. We screwed it all up. But what he wanted and the reason he created us for never changed. And he is working to get us back to that environment and that situation where he can live with us in perfect paradise and there is no sin and no death and no separation between us and between us and him. It never changed. It's just that we messed it up, so it's been a long process of fixing it. And it's not yet over. God's big overall picture is redemption. So in the beginning, he creates the earth as a garden. And he and Adam have perfect relationship. Adam and Eve have perfect relationship. There's no division, no sin, no separation of any sort. Adam and Eve walk together in perfect love. Adam and I, Eve and God work together in perfect love. There's perfect communion. There's no division between the spiritual world and the physical world. God lives on earth and comes and visits Adam and Eve every morning and every evening. And they walk together. He created this planet for his enjoyment of us. Then sin came along and there was a veil between Adam and Eve. They covered it. They covered up each other from each other. First, sin separates us and creates individuals out of us in a way we were never supposed to be. Then it separated us from God. Then there's death. There's curses on man and woman and earth and serpent. But even in those curses, God promises a deliverer. You have really screwed up, but I'm going to save you. Every single problem of earthly life, every sin of mankind, every heartbreak and tragedy and betrayal and murder and greed and rejection, every bit of hell is released on earth. And it was an utter disaster with a capital D. God showed all through Scripture, taking the big story of viewing all of Scripture all at once, we can see that God's plan never changed. I still want you to know me, and I want to know you, and I want to be in relationship with you, as I love you. See that he continues to walk with Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and David. And all through the Old Testament, he promises, I'm going to send you a Messiah, a deliverer, a hero, a savior, a perfect king that will rule forever, who will restore people back to paradise. All through the Old Testament, I think every single Old Testament prophet, except maybe a couple of the minor prophets that only... Prophesied judgment on foreign nations, but every prophet that talks to Israel—Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel—all of them—they all prophesy at some point in their book that there will be a day when God restores the earth and restores. They were thinking Israel, but we now know it means all of us together. God is going to restore paradise to the earth, perfection to us, and we're going to live in righteousness under His rule. Every prophet prophesies it, that uh, there's going to be restoration and healing. And God says all through the Old Testament, I will live with you again someday. You will be my people, and I will be your God, and you will be my children. And then Jesus comes along, and he calls God Father. That was a foreign concept to the Jews. They, They were the children of Israel. They were not the children of God. God was the God they served, but they didn't necessarily see him as Father. But Jesus came along and said, no, God is your Father. He wants you to be his children. He loves you like a loving dad. So Jesus comes along and and begins to connect us back to God in a way that the Old Testament law never could. And then Jesus dies and he pays the price for our sin. And yes, he taught us the truth and he taught us the way to the Father, but there's something else that Jesus accomplished. We're going to look at the first scripture here on the screen. This is Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. After Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross, God can now begin to recombine heaven and earth in a way that was lost at the Garden. There was a separation between God and humanity. And after the cross, God says, now I can begin to recombine that. Everything in heaven and everything on earth is going to be made one in Jesus Christ. Please the Father. It's God's good will to give Jesus everything. Everything on earth and everything in heaven. And I'm going to reconcile it all to myself. I'm going to combine it. Reconcile means to recombine, to remake peace. I'm going to remake it one. In Ephesians 1, to 3-5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father. He chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God says, in Jesus Christ, it is my pleasure, it is my goodwill. I'm so excited to do this. I'm bringing you back to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to be one with humanity again. And it says he chose to do that before the foundation of the world. That gives me great peace to know that when Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus didn't look at his father and roll his eyes and say, well, I guess I got to go die for him now. This is plan A, this is not plan B. Well, they screwed it up, so I guess we'll go to plan B. Nope, this is plan A. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit knew before they created anything, the earth or any of us, they knew we would blow it. And they knew this is what we're going to have to do to restore them. And they're worth it. God does not love you because he has to. He loved you before he made you, knowing you would defy him, knowing he would have to die to purchase you back, and you're worth it. Second Corinthians 6.18 God says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. In Matthew 25, Jesus talking about his second coming in the parable of the sheep and the goats, he says, when the son of man comes in glory, he will sit on his throne of glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep and goats. Then the king will say on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to Jesus' language. Come, sheep, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. God's original plan never changed. And at Jesus' return, he is going to reestablish God's original plan. My original plan was that you would have my kingdom to live in, peace and joy and perfection and paradise, and I'm going to reestablish that. My plan from before I made anything has never changed. I knew all of this would happen. All of this is my plan. I'm working it all out. Trust me. So what is God doing now on, from his throne? What is Jesus doing now in heaven? They aren't soaking up our worship and not doing anything, and they aren't up there building subdivisions. Whatever God and Jesus are doing in heaven, it is leading toward something, which is full restoration of the earth and mankind, so that he can join us again, and that we can be one. Jesus reconciled us to his Father. He made it legally possible for God to forgive us, and then he passed through death to show us the way to the Father. He redeemed us. He reconciled us, and he has restored what was intended from the very beginning. At the cross, he said, it's finished. Whatever that meant was, the earthly work that he needed to do in his body was finished. There's been 2,000 years of him working, and he said, I'll go to prepare a place for you. There's been 2,000 years of work that he and his father are doing. They're not just sitting up there twiddling their thumbs waiting for us to get our act together. They're working, they're moving toward their goal, which is redemption. Jesus, at the resurrection, became the firstborn son. He is the oldest brother of a global family. And his body is actually God recombining heaven and earth again, because he is the God-man. He is heaven on earth. He is earth in heaven. This is heaven and earth combined into one, which is what God wanted all along. And it's what God wants to do. The Bible says the church is his body. You're supposed to be heaven on earth. You're supposed to be a spiritual people living in this world. So now that the price of sin and judgment has been paid, he and his father are working to unite heaven and earth again to complete redemption of humanity and the planet and all creation. They're going to unite the physical and the spiritual worlds again. There will not be any division between the two. Bring all back into one. He's going to restore creation to its original state, to restore our relationships with each other and with God, back to what God intended. So God is working. Jesus is working. Our existence is not this life, and then we die, and then we get some eternal retirement in heaven the church has thought that and Christians have had some very childish thoughts about what eternity in heaven look like. But in heaven right now, God and Jesus and the angels that are there and all the saints that have gone before us, they are aware of what's going on on the earth. Hebrews 12 says so. And Revelation says so. The songs that people are singing to Jesus in heaven are hey, Jesus, you got a job to do, get it done. They are aware of time. I'm not saying that they experience time like we do, but they are aware of us and they are aware of our time and they are aware of God's purposes on the earth and they are praising him and singing him and encouraging him to get it done. Just like Hebrews says they are encouraging us to get it done. The people who have died before us and gone to heaven have gotten schooled in a major way. They are not there to soak it up by the pool drinking a cool drink uh, for the rest of eternity. If you want to know what life is like for people without any necessity or purpose or work or creativity to do, you need to go rewatch or watch for the first time Wall-E. And you'll see what happens to humanity when we have nothing to do. If you think paradise is an all-you-can-eat buffet where you lay at the pool all day, watch Wally, and you'll see what we turn into. In heaven, listen to me, in heaven there is a future. What makes hell hell is that there is no future. It's the eternal moment where absolutely no hope of any change ever. In heaven things are constantly changing and there is a future the word says that God will reveal himself from glory to glory all for eternity. We're going to be learning new things continually. I told you before, but as a kid, I kind of didn't want to go to heaven because my picture of heaven was kind of like Muslim prayer where we were all on our knees and just sort of bowing to Jesus for a million years. Like that sounds really boring. I know I don't want to go to hell, but I don't really, I'm not really interested in heaven, but it's because I've been taught wrong. I didn't understand there's going to be purpose and meaning and goals and object and Creativity and work, stuff to do that means something. And eternity after Jesus returns is going to be different than what they're experiencing now. But but the, the saints in heaven, you can read in Revelation, you can see it. They're worshiping Jesus with a purpose for him to accomplish something, which is return and straighten that place out. Redeem it. You've already paid the price. Let's get it done. It's all through the Bible, but you can see that in Hebrews 12 and in Revelation, the saints and the angels in heaven are looking at the earth. They're aware of what's going on, and they're not just mindlessly, repetitively worshiping Jesus. They are praising him, saying, accomplish your purposes. Break the seals, Jesus. Blow the trumpets. Pour out the bowls. Let's go. Let's get this done. Bring the kingdom. Hello? They're aware of time. They're aware of a future. And Jesus and God are actually working on something. So what that means is that every event that happens here is being watched and it is working toward that goal. Absolutely everything is working toward that goal. Second Timothy 1.9 God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus God is showing us his grace now. He is giving us his Holy Spirit, the Bible says, as a down payment on our salvation. 1 John says, we cannot even imagine what it actually means to be saved. We say we're saved, but the Bible says, actually, we don't even know what that is yet. It's so good. It's so much more than what we have now. Jesus is working toward that goal, toward that object. God says, of course, he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. It is not entered into any heart what God has planned for us. It is so good. God's every purpose can be summed up as this, to restore perfect paradise on the earth under Jesus as king so that he can live with us as our father again. That's what God is working on. That's what he wants. I'm going to make Jesus king so that he can make the earth right again so that I can rejoin you. I want what I wanted in the very beginning. I want to love you, I want you to know me and love me. I want to live with you. He says it over and over and over again. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will dwell with you. The tabernacle of God will be with men. There's uncountable verses where God says, I just want to live with you. That's what they're working on. I don't know why it's taken 2,000 years. but It's going to come to pass. It's going to return. It's going to actually rule this planet, this world, He is going to rule, and that is God's purpose. That is God's plan. That is what God is doing. He is making Jesus king so that Jesus can make us right so that we can be reunited with him. That simple. Psalm 2 is a wonderful psalm. I love it. It's the psalm about the return of Jesus, and there are four characters or four groups of characters in this psalm. David writes this, and he starts out. David is speaking verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The word vain means stupid or useless. The nations gather together, all the kings of the world and the cultural leaders and the rulers of the world gather together and they say, we're going we're gonna to fight God. Break off his chains. We don't want his rules anymore. We don't want to live his way. Let's fight God. Is that actually going to happen? It's, uh, we've lived through most of human history where kings fight each other, but the governments of the world are more united than they have ever been. And what is the result of that? More wickedness than ever. Not just presidents and kings, but cultural leaders. And uh, the world is uniting in wickedness against God. We are seeing it happen before our eyes. The world is gathering against Jesus. It's going to literally happen someday that they think they're going to fight Jesus and stop his return. But it's happening spiritually, socially, culturally. It's happening right now. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their courts. So the first group of characters we've got are all the government and cultural leaders of the world who hate Jesus and refuse to let him be king. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. So God the Father is the second character in this psalm, and he just laughs. You're going to stop what I have planned. I have my king on my holy hill. You all can say you're in charge. You can put yourselves in authority. You can try to change the culture. You can try to erase righteousness from the press and from the arts and from music and government and the school systems, but it just makes me laugh. I have a king. I have set in charge. Verse 7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. Now Jesus is speaking. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Then we go back to God the Father speaking. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus speaks up and says, yes, I am that king. My father made me king. And God says, yeah, you're right, son. I love you so much. You're the one who perfectly obeyed. You are the savior of the world. Ask me anything and I will give it to you. I will give you a rod of iron and you will smash like a clay pot anyone that resists you. Go, oh, Jesus. Jesus continues to speak in verse 10. Go there, now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. Jesus says, "Give you some advice. Serve the Lord with fear. Kiss the Son. When you have a king, you have to. When you go before his throne, you have to bow down. And you have to kiss his ring or his hand." Jesus says, Here "Kiss my hand. Now is the time. Swear loyalty. Today is the day. Make yourself my servant. If you resist, you will perish in your way." And then we have the fourth group of characters in the very last sentence. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. While all the nations are raging, while God is making Jesus king, while Jesus is coming back in wrath to smash those who resist him, those who have kissed his ring, we're at perfect peace. Nothing bad is happening. Nations can rage all they want, and we're safe cheering on our king while he fights his battles and wins his victories. God's main goal is to make Jesus king. This psalm shows how that's going to happen. Ephesians 1, to 9-11 says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Paul says, hey, listen up, believers. God has told us what his will is. He has a plan. And what is that plan? At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. It's that simple. God's plan is to give everything to Jesus. He's the righteous judge. He's the king who can rule. He's the prince of peace. He's the only one who has the authority to forgive sin and the authority to dispense the wrath of God. At the same time. What is God's plan? To give everything to Jesus. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. And hey, listen up. Since you all came ahead of time and didn't fight him, but instead submitted and obeyed and loved and served, you're going to get in on that inheritance. You're not going to be an enemy. You're going to be a friend. God is sovereign over everything in history, over everything in culture, everything in government, all the advances of science and technology and art and music and culture and revivals and cultural shifts and elections. God's got it all wrapped up. His ultimate plan is to make Jesus king. restore creation to who we are supposed to be so that he can live with us. We don't have to fear anything. All through the Bible, we have promise after promise. The book of Daniel, for example, God shows Daniel what's going to happen in the next 600 years after his life. He so says there's going to be this king and he's going to do this. There's going to be this king and he's going to do that bad thing. There's going to be this king and he's going to do this bad thing. There's going to be this king and he's going to do this bad thing. But then I'm going to send my king. God isn't making anybody do bad things. He isn't causing anyone to sin. The Bible says God cannot sin nor can he tempt anyone to sin. He cannot make anybody do anything bad. But everything that happens, everything that happens works towards God's plan. Acts two and in Acts four, Peter says the bad things that happened to Jesus on the day he was crucified just ended up furthering what God wanted to happen anyway. Just saying, even what the enemy means for evil, he turns it for our good and for His glory. It really is that simple. I mean, the devil is such a loser that every time he tries something, it ends up furthering God's plan. Sad to be that much of a loser. God can win with any any hand deal him any cards and he throws them down on the table and says I win. And he does. God is sovereign over all of it. He's got everything worked out. We don't need to worry about Trump and Putin and China and abortion and homosexuality and the economy and all the things that people get so wound up and scared about and worried about and oh no. God's got it all worked out. Everything is working toward the return of Jesus, establishment of his kingdom. Even what the enemy does ends up working in Jesus' favor. Absolutely everything works out in Jesus' favor. History and the future are not open-ended. They're not random chaos. They're not a failing forward of humanity. It is God's purposeful timeline. And there's boundaries on it. There was a beginning day, and there is an ending day. God is in control of the cosmos and the universe. He's in control of nations and presidents and elections and, and climate events and economies. And he also takes the time to know every bird and design every flower. God, who's at peace? All of the raging of the nations and spiritual warfare that's going on God, Jesus said God dresses every single flower, meaning he designs the flower petals by hand. God at perfect peace, he knows every bird, and he's so in love with you that he spent his time last night counting your hair while you slept, that attentive, so you got done quicker than others. His redemption, his redemption... Includes the cosmos, the universe, the nations, all of creation, but it also includes my heart, your heart. He is a God that is able to balance the cosmic, the things that are so large and complicated we can't even imagine, but He's also deals with the microscopic, and he deals with it, what's intimately personal. He's not such a big God that he's too busy to deal with our personal issues and our prayers and the needs that we have. So in this tale of universal redemption and the kingdom of heaven and Jesus ruling heaven and earth, you matter, you're involved, you are known, but it isn't all about you. My own life is not about me. Jesus said, if I want life, I need to lose my own, right? My own life is not about me. I have a duty to perform, I have a loyalty to give, I have a price to pay, I have a king to serve. If my prayers and thoughts and desires are all about how I can be blessed and God will take care of me and give me a better life, then I've missed the point, and I'm kind of unaware that I'm serving a king. I am his servant. I am his servant. He is my king. I can ask him anything, I can request anything, I can pray for anything, but I do not come to him demanding it like he's my servant. He made himself the servant of all, but he makes himself the servant of all, not me make him the servant of all. I make myself his servant. I'm here to fight his battles. I'm here to serve in his army to pay whatever price he needs to do whatever work he needs done for his kingdom. Because even in my life, in my heart, it is still all about Jesus. From Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Really, really famous verse. Everybody knows it, right? Every time something bad happens, we quote this verse to ourselves to make us feel better. Like, okay, God's going to work it all out. It's going to be okay. He's going to work everything for good. But it says he's going to work everything for good according to his purpose. What is his purpose? We already know it, but here it is again. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is God's purpose? To make you like Jesus. Even in your own heart, it's still all about Jesus. It is not about you. I'm not the one in the center of heaven. I'm not the center of God's attention. Jesus is. And I come into Christ and I'm saved. I can ask anything. I can pray anything. I can request anything. But I have to remember, it's all about Jesus. Whatever price I have to pay to love and forgive and serve and work and fight the battles that I'm called about, they're not my battles, they're God's. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's not my servant, I'm his. It's all about Jesus. God's ultimate goal is to make Jesus King our universe. Restore the earth to paradise, to restore us to God so that He can live with us. Get to be involved in that. Thank you, Lord, for your